The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. I spend a lot of time with young people. By nature of my role, uh, I hang out with middle and high school students often. We're friends. Uh, And I love what I get to do, enjoy working with teenagers, working with kids, passionate about it. Uh, And over the years, if you have a teenager in your life or even a kid in your life, you collect a whole treasure trove of stories of crazy things that uh, a kid will do. And one of my favorite stories uh, takes me back to when I first started preaching. It was an audience of middle and high school students one of the very first messages I ever taught. And so I'm nervous. I'm getting there. I'm like, oh my goodness. And trying to just get through the message. And I remember I concluded the message. And there was this one kid who caught my eye. He was off by himself in one of the corners. And I noticed him. And it was one of those moments where you could tell something was on this kid's mind. And so I got this sense like, Justin, you need to go talk to that kid because that's what a pastor's supposed to do. And so I'm like, okay, God, I guess I'll talk to the kid. So I go and talk to the kid, and I gently just put my hand on his back, and I say, hey, man, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And then he looks up at me, and then he connects the dots. I can tell what's happening in his mind. He connects the dots with the fact that the person he's talking to is the person who just spoke a few moments ago, and his eyes get really big. And in that moment, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what is he about to say? What is this kid dealing with? What's going on in this this little guy's life? And... He looks at me, and there's this pause and a silence, and then he begins to speak to me in one of those tones that you can tell it's just between us. He doesn't want anybody else to hear what he's about to say, and he just ever so delicately, he looks at me, and he says, your fly is down. (laughs) And I look down, (laughs) and my heart sank. As I realized, I had just spent the last 30 minutes in front of literally the worst segment of society to do that in front of. 30 minutes in front of this group of middle and high school students, and I'm like, that's it. They didn't get anything from that. That was was the distraction. I'm surprised I didn't notice. I'm somewhere on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, Anyways, I I realized that I did that. Now, I have so many stories of times where I've had interesting encounters with teenagers. I mean, teenagers... No brutal honesty. An adult would find a way in that moment to say, oh, you know, here's what I've got going on. I'd appreciate it if you pray for this. And after we pray, say amen, a nice adult will say, hey, buddy, just looking out. You know, might want to take care of that. And, and say it in a little more subtle way, not a teenager. Tell you straight up like it is. Forget about what I've got going on, bro. You've got something going on. They'll tell you straight up. I love that. I, I, I enjoy working with this next generation. And when I became a dad... I started to think through uh, not just this generation from the perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm a, a student pastor concerned for this next generation, wanting to see them grow. But when I became a dad, it became even more personal. And I've spent a good bit of time thinking about and talking to kids about the challenges that they face. And every single generation that's gone before us, and even this generation that's being raised up right now, there are some things we all share in common. There are challenges that, you know what, it's just a part of being a teenager. It's just a part of being a kid. There are elementary school challenges that every generation will face, and so on. But there are certain things that are unique to every historical moment. 
There are challenges that are presented in a unique way, and this generation has some unique challenges. There are some difficulties they, are, they face. There are some ten- temptations that they're up against. And even if you're someone who you're not a parent, or maybe if you are a parent but your kids are grown up, or uh, your grandparent, or an uncle, or an aunt, or a young adult, and you don't directly have a child in your life that you're actively parenting or raising up, even if that's the case, there's still a role that you play in the next generation being raised up. By nature of you being involved in a faith community in the church, by nature of you being involved and being a member, a participant in the church, you are helping to form for the little eyes around you that are looking and observing what it looks like, what this thing called the church is. And they're seeing the way we treat one another. They're seeing how we disagree. They're seeing how we can unify in the midst of difficulty. They're seeing how we may be disunified in the midst of difficulty. They're observing all of this. And they're making certain conclusions. They're drawing conclusions about what it means to be a Christian. And this generation is up against some serious challenges. If you follow the statistics, over half of All teenagers who are raised in the church will leave the church by the time they graduate high school. Among the most religiously active segment of society are teenagers. Among the least religiously active participants in all of our nation, demographically, are college students. There is a gap. There's something that occurs there. And we have something to address. And what Psalm 78 does is it points out the problem and it offers us a hopeful solution. I want to show you it's Psalm 78, starting in verse 1. Here's what the author Asaph says. It says, A masculine of Asaph, more on that in a moment, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, And arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Psalm 78 is one of a collection of psalms that make up the book of Psalms. Psalms is this collection of prayers or poems. It's these different songs, 150 of them, that essentially make up the prayer book or the hymnal of the Jewish people. And these psalms uh, vary in topics. So there's some that are very joyful, jubilant. There are some that are emotional and difficult to go through. And these psalms really give us a picture into the prayer life and worship of God's people historically and how we can pray and worship God as well. And Psalm 78 happens to be the second longest of all the Psalms. We only read verses 1 through 8, but actually Psalm 78 is 72 verses long. So I encourage you later today, take about seven minutes or so, read it out loud, read through it. But verses 1 through 8, what we just read, essentially are the introduction and purpose statement. Verses 1 through 8 say, hey, here's, here's the purpose of this, here's the thesis, 
older generation, you need to pass down the faith to the younger generation. Tell what God has done for them. Proclaim all the good things, the wonders, the works that God has done for your children's sake. Communicate it to them. And then verses 9 through 72 then serve as a history lesson. Uh, Some teachers like to put history to song, and so here we are in the Bible. There's a song about the history of the people of Israel. And if you read verses 9 through 72, eventually you realize that this song is like a broken record. You realize that there's a theme, there's a melody that keeps repeating over and over and over again. And the melody is that the people of God historically have been awful at passing the baton of faith to the next generation. You hear it over and over and over again. They are terrible at passing down to the next generation the faith of their forefathers. And there are generations that completely go astray and wander away. And God responds every single time with his discipline, his compassion, and his mercy. That the people constantly reject God. They run from God. They're unfaithful to him. And God responds by pursuing them. And then there'll be this short-lived glimmer of hope where they finally start to get it, but then the next generation rolls along and they just basically undo everything that the one before did. And it's this vicious cycle. And as many times as the people give up on God, God refuses to give up on his people. Psalm 78 is painting this picture. God pursues his people. He doesn't give up. His grace and his mercy continue and go on. And Psalm 78, 78 verses 1 through 8, I want to show us here how really this gives us the challenge that we face, the problem, the solution, and then the action plan. The problem, the solution, and the action plan when it comes to raising up a new generation shows us these three things. And so first let's talk about the problem, the problem we face and the problem that every generation faces. And to think about that, I want you to picture for a moment a relay race. Uh, A relay race is that classic Olympic event where there are track and field runners, and there are teams of runners who compete together to try and finish the race. And what's so special and unique about the relay race is you can have the fastest runners in the world. You can have the the best runners in the world, but if they can't get the transition down, they're going to lose. And what's remarkable is you watch the Olympics, and these are people who literally, they have one job. They run maybe two. They run and pass the baton. That's all they do. You got to run fast and pass the baton. Now, it's more complicated than that, but they basically reduce it down to its simplest form. Run fast, pass the baton to the next person. And you watch the Olympics. It's not uncommon to see people drop the baton, to see them drop it. And it doesn't matter how big of a lead the first person had. If you drop the baton, you're losing. And this picture of passing the baton down is often used as a metaphor of what it looks like to pass down to a new generation, the baton of faith. And here the problem that's been identified that Psalm 78 hones in on is that there's this transition gap between the generations. There's a spiritual gap. There comes the moment when the baton has to get passed and Psalm 78 identifies that the problem is God's people have historically been terrible at passing the baton. They've missed it. They've dropped it. And here is a reminder to them, here's what to do in favor. So the problem is that we constantly, we pass the baton and we miss it. Look at verse 8, Psalm 78, verse 8. It says this, that they should not be like their fathers, speaking of the children, that the children should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. 
Notice here, the author Asaph, inspired by God, places the burden and the responsibility on someone. He gives the responsibility, right? Whenever there's a problem, problem's never going to get solved unless somebody takes responsibility for the problem. And here he places the burden and the responsibility on someone. Asaph doesn't say, oh, well, this, just, this younger generation, they don't get it. You know, kids these days, addicted to their phones, entitled, lazy, spoiled, they have things easier than what. And, and listen, some of those things may be true. But the author here places the burden and responsibility on parents, and getting more specific, he places it on fathers. And he says that they would not be like their fathers. There's a transition gap here. And the responsibility is on the adult generation to raise up a new generation to love God and to love people. And verse 7, it gives us a further clarification of where the correction needs to be made. I want you to look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7, speaking of the kids who would hear God's word. So that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This word hope is one of those words that most all of us know what's meant by the word, but it's hard to pin it down and say, well, here's the definition of hope. Here's what hope really means and put words to it. Hope essentially is this future-oriented confidence that brings me peace in the present. Hope is what we build our lives on. It's what we're seeking after and trusting in to find value and meaning in life. The thing that you're hoping in is the thing that you're counting on to carry you through. It's the motivator. It's the foundation that the rest of your life is being built on. And so the psalmist, the writer is saying, tell to the coming generation all that God has done for them so that they would set their hope in God. And so if I could just be honest, if we were to clarify what this generation, this new young generation that's being raised up, what they're setting their hope in. It's something that's not all that different from the hope that many of us build our life on. This generation, through various reasons, because of the environment they've grown up in, this generation has decided and determined, by and large, to build their life on the shaky ground and roller coaster of the approval and praise of their peers. And so their hope comes from how many people will accept them or if the right people will accept them. And so they might do all sorts of things, go to certain places, change things about themselves, dress certain ways, listen to certain music, hang out with a certain crowd just so that they can get the approval of their peers. Now this sounds familiar for us as adults, but this is what our kids are doing and this is just magnified all the more in the world they've grown up with, which they don't have a memory of a life without social media. They don't have memory of life without internet. And so they're growing up into this environment. And just to give you a snapshot of what the life of a teenager is like, this is something that uh, is just normal. Like what I'm about to tell you, this is not like, oh, the bad kids do this or, you know, the kids who are really struggling. This is just normal teenage social media life. Here's what's interesting. Teenagers post something on social media, put something on their Instagram page perhaps. After 30 minutes of making sure it's the right angle and right filter and right caption, finally work up the courage, post it, right? Proceed to text their friends on a group chat. There may be like 30 people on this group chat. Text their friends so that they can kind of get the likes rolling, 
okay? They want to make sure that their friends know they posted so that likes can start going. Want to make sure we get a good number to start us off, start on the right foot. They even know the times of day that are best to post pictures. They're marketing geniuses. They know what times of the day are most advantageous to get the most likes and know what will get them the most comments. So they'll post this picture, and then I'd like to introduce to you an interesting concept. It's called the number of Instagram likes threshold. It's not really called that. I just made it up. The NILT. The number of Instagram likes threshold. Every teenager, maybe not every teenager, lots of them. This is normal. Lots of them, they'll have a threshold. It's an expectation. If I don't get this many likes... That thing is not going to be on my permanent record. I am removing that photo from my page. If I don't get three digits at least, right? If I'm not getting at least 100 likes, that is gone. And so I'm keeping my profile short, keeping the good pictures on there, lest anyone see any even blemish on my record. Now, I say this not to knock on teenagers. Remember, I love them. They're my people, okay? Uh, So so I, I say this not to knock on... This is normal. This is just regular every day, but follow closely what's taking place. Our kids are being raised up and trained in a world where what's normal and what's expected is that you make sure that what you're projecting to the world is that you are liked. That you're the kind of person who gets this many likes and has this many followers. That if you don't get a certain amount of approval by others, that, well, you're in trouble. And no teenager wakes up one day and says, you know what, today... I want to build my life and put all of my hope in my Instagram, right? No, no kid does that. No kid says, you know what, Snapchat, you're going to de- determine the value that I place on myself. They don't do that. But the sneaky and sinister lie that can sometimes creep in, and adults, we do this with other things, the sneaky lie is we start to build our identity. We put our hope in the approval of others. How many people like us? And that is a shaky ground to build your life on. That's a roller coaster. If you're going to put all of your hope and you're drawing your confidence and assurance in life, and this is the, the normal, this is what's regular for the kids that are growing up today. This is a serious challenge. Passing the baton of faith is already a challenge. It's already something that's difficult, and yet it's compounded by the unique challenges that are presented in 2017. Things three years ago that were brand new cutting edge that went viral are now irrelevant. There are things that will pop up in the next month or so that will be the craze. I mean, think about fidget spinners, right? Isn't that crazy? Fidget spinners. Anyway, uh, there's things that will pop up. Our culture is evolving so rapidly. Our kids, although they share some of the same struggles and temptations you struggle with when you were growing up, our kids have some unique challenges. It's... No coincidence that this is the most medicated, most depressed, and most suicidal statistically generation in recent history. Like the problem is severe. The gap, the transition between one generation to the next, like there's a mountain we have to climb as we're seeking to pass that baton. And so what do we do? Do we just throw our hands up and say, well, kids these days? No. We have reason to have hope. The responsibility, it's on us. Our kids, they're inheriting the world we're creating. They're seeing and observing the way we love one another. And so we have hope. And here's the solution offered in Psalm 78. Look, at, uh, look with me at verse 4. 
Verse 4. This is a resolution. We resolve. We will not hide them. The things that God has done for us, his faithfulness, his works, his wonders, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We will not hide it. We're going to tell them. The simple solution is to speak and to tell our kids about all the times that God has been faithful and come through. This meant something uniquely for each family who would have read this. This means something unique to you. There are stories of God's faithfulness woven in throughout your life. One of the things I love about journaling is I can go back to a time period in my life where I knew I was going through something difficult. I can open up my journal, realize how I was praying, the things that were on my heart, and I can look back with perspective on those moments and see, man, when I was struggling and so stressed, and anxious about this thing, God was faithful. And all the while, he was working this other thing out that I didn't even see. That's amazing. That's a story of God's faithfulness that needs to be passed down. We have all the time moments when God shows and reveals his faithfulness in our weakness. That is a good thing to pass down to our kids. It's something to share and to spread, to tell the coming generation all that God has done so that they would set their hope in God not in the approval of others. Set their hope in God, not in the promise of a scholarship. We are making it rain scholarships right now and kids are depressed. Not in a career, not in advancement, not in increased wealth or power. Those, none of those things bring the hope we need that they would set their hope in God. Because here's what happens when we set our hope in God. God has already settled the debate. God has already decided about you. Jesus, the infinite one, right? The creator of everything. He created everything. God who is infinite came down to this earth and laid down his life for you, died for you, suffered in your place. He absorbed the judgment, the shame and the sin and the guilt that we ourselves deserve. Jesus absorbed the punishment for that himself, died for us. God, who is infinite, paid an infinite cost for you. That says something about you. That says something about your kids. That you are cherished, that you are valued, that you are loved. That God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He didn't have an accident when he decided to bring you into existence. No, you are cherished. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ephesians chapter 1 says, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All that heaven has to offer, God has showered that on us. We have forgiveness. We have redemption. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. Imagine you get a phone call later today. Bill Gates is on the phone. He says, hey, I'm legally adopting you into my family. You got an inheritance coming to you. That's a good phone call. It's a great afternoon. Like your life changes in that moment. You've got an inheritance coming. And sorry, Bill, but I'm really excited for the day when I get that inheritance. I'm really looking forward to that. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul praying for this church. And the thing he prays for is that God would give them a greater vision for the inheritance that awaits them. That the spiritual eyes of their hearts would widen up. That their imaginations could expand some more so that they can comprehend all that God has in store for them, an eternity reigning and ruling with our Savior. 
And he's praying that for them, that they would see the hope that he's called them to. Like That's a hope worth building your life on. That's a hope, what God has already declared and decided. That's something worth building all that you've got, drawing all of your confidence from. That's something that can't be shaken and can't be taken away from you, no matter what's going on around you. So that they should set their hope in God. We need this kind of hope. Now, the command here is intended to be a repetitive command. This is not something that's a one and done. Hey, tell your kids one time about Jesus and then you're good. No, this is a repetitive thing. I don't know about you, but there are times I'll walk down the hallway, I'll end up in some room, and I'll be looking around aimlessly, staring at the walls like, why am I here again? Just wondering, curious, did I miss something? What am I supposed to do? I'll walk back to the other place. I'll remember 20 minutes later, oh yeah, I needed a pen, right? And I'll have just forget, or I'll be in a conversation with someone, someone sharing something. I'm like, you know what? I have a great idea. And they're like, what? Tell me the idea. I forgot. I forget. I'm prone to forget. And I, I came across an article a few, uh, a few days ago, actually, that said that a sign of genius is that you forget things often. So I'm just going to claim that. <laughs> Some of you are like, amen, okay? Uh, I forget often, apparently, apparently, if you forget often, it shows that you're holding on to the things that really matter, okay? Really matter. Anyway, so uh, we forget all the time. I mean, constantly. There are times that we go through something, and God has carried us through something far more difficult in the past, has lifted us up out of that, and yet we have this amnesia where we can't remember that, and we can't recall that God has been faithful in the past, therefore I can have peace in the present. I can trust that he's got me. I don't have to be concerned or alarmed that as I struggle, I can go to him and he'll carry me through and walk the walk of faith and trusting God. I forget things all the time. We need to be reminded over and over and again, we need to tell our kids this next generation what God has done for them. This needs to be on repeat throughout our lives. Now, the solution, the solution is to tell our kids, is to tell the coming generation about what God has done for them. It's not to force our kids. It's not to try and force them to believe something, right? We're not in the business of doing that. We can't force someone to believe. In fact, one of the things I love about our church, we have people every single week, not just kids, adults. We have people every single week who come and they're still not sure about what they believe about God. They're asking some questions. Someone invited them. They're going through something and they're like, well, maybe there's some answers for me here. They're curious, right? We're not in the business of, forcing people on it, forcing things on anyone. No, we proclaim the truth and the hope of Jesus and we love people. So we do every week, proclaim this truth. We love people. No matter where you're at, what your struggles are, what background you come from, we love people. And so with our kids, we tell them, we tell them, this is what God has done for you. This is how much he's for you. This is how God has been faithful in my life and this is how God wants to be faithful in your life because make no mistake, the opposite, when we don't speak up, when we stay silent, and Monday through Saturday, there is a dead silence about God in our homes, and we just come back on Sunday, our silence is communicating something very loudly to our kids about God. Uh, in this time period, the various religions, the way they viewed their gods, in many cases, they would view them as territorial gods. In other words, 
there were certain geographical regions where this religion or this nation's God would be in power. And then if you went and crossed this certain latitude and longitude, then this, this nation's God was in power over here. And here we are in 2017, and we look back at that, and we're like, well, that sounds silly, right? The ancient people, like somehow crossing a latitude and longitude means like this dirt belongs to this God. Like, how, how silly those ancient people that they would think something like that. They're not as enlightened as we are. And yet, what they did with geography, we've managed to do with the days of our week. Where Jesus is the Sunday God. And Monday through Saturday, it's silence. And our kids are listening. And the little ears and the little hands and the little eyes in our homes are observing. And they're learning something about Jesus from you. They're learning something about Jesus when we stay silent, we don't bring them up, we're teaching them, make no mistake, Jesus is the Sunday God. Rest of the week, not so sure. And in a moment of transparency, the, own, the condition of my own heart, in my own life, too many days I am communicating with my silence something about God that isn't true. God is worth having on our lips and his joy in our heart. He has done great things for us and we have reason to have this desire to share him with others. That we have a song to sing, a joyful song to sing of all that he's done. We ought to sing it. We ought to share it with others. It ought to be on repeat in our homes, in our lives. And so speak. The problem, the transition gap we face, it's difficult. The struggle is real. The challenges are legitimate. Passing the baton is not easy. The solution, simple as it is, speak the word, pass it down, remind the next generation of how God is for them, how he loves them, what he's spoken. And then the last part, the action plan, the action plan. How do we put this into our life? What does it look like to put this into practice? You know, the very first verse of this psalm, it gives us some insight into the ways in which this particular song would have been used historically. It's described as a maskil of Asaph. A maskil, this was probably, maskil was probably a liturgical or a musical term. Uh, it was something that would have given some sort of instruction to the people for how they were to use this song in their worship. And so this is a song written with the theme of how parents and uh, families should instruct their children in God's word, how they should pass down to the generations the stories of God's faithfulness, the wonders that he's done. So it's this reminder to families, and yet, the environment in which these instructions are for is in the context of the congregation. So right here, we have this beautiful picture of the responsibility of families and the congregation, the church, working together, partnering to raise up the next generation. It starts in verse one where the, psalm, the psalmist says, give ear, O my people. He's addressing the congregation. He's saying, hey, now here, people, we have to help these families raise up the next generation. In other words, it isn't a church saying to a family, hey, good luck, y'all. Figure it out with your kids. That stinks, right? That's tough. That's not the kind of relationship that's portrayed here. It's a partnership. And so we as a church, we want to partner with parents to raise up a generation to love God and love people. We want to partner with you. We want to encourage you, equip you. Uh, we have an amazing team of kids ministry, student ministry volunteers. We have some volunteers who are uh, young adults, some retired families, grandparents, moms, dads. We have 
all sorts of different kinds of folks who are investing in our kids. And one of the things that we do for our kids, for our elementary, preschool age kids, is we give each kid a take-home. We want them to have something to take home with them. And this is just a simple guide that describes what we talked about that day, what your kid learned. And we give that to you as a tool so you can continue the conversation at home because we know it's hard. It's not easy. And if we're honest, for most of us, we didn't necessarily have an example of what it looks like to teach your kids about Jesus. For most of us, our parents, our parents didn't necessarily teach us. They weren't necessarily pastor mom and pastor dad. And so for us, we're not necessarily drawing from some sort of example. So we're trying to figure all of this out. And so we want to equip you with simple tools to be able to do that in your home, to talk to your kids throughout the week about how Jesus loves them, about what he did for them, about how they can make wise decisions according to God's word. Well, in our middle and high school ministry, we have a team of tribe leaders. These are small group leaders who aren't just there for the kids. They're also there for the parents. Just this week, we had a family reach out to a tribe leader because they're having some challenges. They wanted prayer, encouragement. And so we were able to reach out. That's the church and the home working together. That's what we're after. We also have a podcast. You can listen to the student ministry teachings. You can hear what your middle schooler or high schooler just heard last week. You can continue that conversation and dialogue at home. It's not the church saying to the family, hey, you guys figure it out. We'll be over here doing our stuff. No, hand in hand. In the same way, it's not the family saying to the church, hey, you deal with him. It's not the family saying to the church, hey, here's, you're the spiritual coach. You guys figure it out. Ship them back to me when you're done. That's not the kind of relationship either. We're working together. We're encouraging and equipping and leading this next generation to love God, to serve him. We need to be speaking the word on a consistent basis. I, I shared this last Wednesday at our high school service, and I think this is a helpful place to remind uh, what's at stake here. I want you to picture for a moment that you had the kind of relationship with God um, that in this scenario, you could just text him and say, hey, God, let's meet up for coffee. I just need to get some things off my chest, okay? And you text God, and you get to the coffee shop, and you're there, and it's God. And so you're having a conversation with him, and you can just kind of unload and say, I've got this happening and this happening, and I'm not sure about this. And imagine for a moment that you had the kind of relationship with God, this, this kind of close, intimate relationship where God could in that moment begin, just begin to peel back the layers and show and expose, hey, the reason you're kind of worked up about all of this and you're anxious and stressed is, is you're just, you, you've misprioritized. You've placed your weight on something that really in the end it doesn't matter all that much. Remember, here's what I made you for. Here's your purpose. Here's how I designed your life to thrive and to function. And so if you'll just remember, turn from living that way and you'll just trust in me, then, then things will begin to change. You'll see change happen. Or imagine you're going through a conflict. Things are complicated at work or at home with a child and you don't know what to do. And you could have the kind of conversation with God where, hey, he might not say, hey, you need to tell this person these words, but he'll show you the kind of person you need to become in order to handle that situation. He'll show and expose how you can become more and more like Jesus, his son. And by becoming more like Jesus, by conforming into his image, you'll be a better dad, a better mom, a better husband, better wife, better employee, better student. And he'll begin to peel back those layers and show that to you. What if you could have that kind of conversation with God? And then what I did was I grabbed this. 
And I said, you have that. We have that. We have access to the wisdom above all wisdom, to the one who made us and designed us. I've heard it said before that if you want to hear God speak audibly out loud, read the Bible out loud. This is God's word. It's not man's thoughts and meditations about God. It's not someone who was in a trance and then decided, you know what, I'm going to figure all of this out. Here's what I think God is like. It's not that at all. It's God inspiring people to reveal who he is and record and document faithfully how God's story of redemption has unfolded throughout history and has told this story throughout the ages that God pursues an unfaithful and broken people like the faithful groom, the faithful husband, who no matter how many times we fail, he will not quit. And it records the story. It shows us who God is. And by showing us that, we have hope. We need this word. Our kids need this word. We can't pass down what we ourselves don't have with us. And so we need to be speaking it in the context of the congregation, in the context of our home, a partnership working together. And then another interesting thing about this is that the people of Israel, this, this document called the book of Psalms was compiled together and would have been used on a regular basis to order their worship. There were times of the year where it was prescribed that they were to read this passage, that they were to worship God by all 72 verses of these. And they would play back their history, remind themselves as they're speaking the words that they would not be like their fathers. Speaking the words that we should not hide from our children all that God has done from them. And this would be in the rhythm of their lives. And life is busy. Life is complicated. Kids these days are busier than ever. And so if we don't find a way to get creative and put this in the rhythm of our regular life, it'll just go by the wayside. In the busyness, the craziness of life, sometimes the things that are the highest priority are the things that end up going first. And so find a way, whether at breakfast, at night, before bed, during dinner, on your way home from school, find a way. Tell your kids about the Word. Teach your kids what God is teaching you when you're studying the Word. Pass it down to the next generation. Proclaim to them. Tell them what God has done for them. This action plan, this idea of putting a rhythm in place, of proclaiming over and over and over and putting on repeat, we want that to be the message that if our kids, when they leave the home, when they leave the home, the message, the song that's been on repeat throughout their lives has been the song of their redemption. You know, there are some songs that you could just listen to over and over and over again. I remember when I was in high school, there's a song, I mean, I played this song so many times. Uh, it was Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Anybody like that song? Nobody likes that song? Okay, anyways. I, I played this song over and over again, over and over and over. And my friends would be like, bro, again? It's like number 73. I'm like, no, man, this is bumping. I like this song. So I'd play it. I'd turn it louder and I'd hear it over and over and over again. Get me excited. We have a song that we need to be putting on repeat in our lives. Psalm 78 is this song. Like there's different lyrics, there's different melodies, but it's always the same message. Jesus, the hope of the world, the one who's brought light into our darkness, who has taken our broken pieces and made us whole. Jesus, the infinite one who paid an infinite cost to show his infinite love for you. This is the song of redemption that needs to be on our lips, that we need to be passing down to the next generation. They need to know that and hear that. 
The solution, the church and the home partnering together, speaking the word in the regular rhythm of everyday life, repeating this redemption song over and over and over again until they've memorized the words, until they know the melody, until they've treasured it in their own hearts. The good news is that when you read this psalm and you read the rest of the verses, you come across like a broken record, this repeated melody that focuses in on the grace and the mercy of God. In fact, if, there, if this was a, a play, if this psalm was a play and there were a couple of actors in the play, the spotlight is always on God and his grace. The star of the show, the hero in the story is that God is gracious in spite of our failures. And so the good news in this is that if you have blown it like I have, if you've been silent, if you're not so sure how you're communicating to the next generation about what God has done for them, the good news is that because the spotlight is on God's grace, even when we fail, we can still proclaim to them the grace of God because it's not about how good we are. We're not the star of the show. Our proficiency as parents is not the star. The grace of God, his goodness and forgiveness in spite of our failures. And also, God loves our kids more than we do. He is for them. And so when it's overwhelming and it feels like I don't even know where to start, again, my, my parents certainly didn't do that for me. Even starting that conversation just feels awkward thinking about it. I don't know how this is going to play out. Just start. Whether it's taking the Jesus Storybook Bible, an excellent resource for kids that we have. We have it here at our resource center. Taking that, reading that to them every night. Even if they don't understand all that's being read, we're telling them something about Jesus. That Jesus is not just the Sunday God. That he's a part of our lives. That he loves us. He cares for us. He cares for what we do at school and what we do at home. Or if we have older kids, it's opening up the Bible together and, and reading it and asking the simple question, you know, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach you about God? How is Jesus at this wedding turning water into wine? What is that teaching us about God? Like, well, what, is this, what are we learning from this passage? Just reading these scriptures, these stories of God's faithfulness. How can we pass that down in the regular rhythm of everyday life? I want to invite you, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you've never entered into a relationship with God through Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In a quiet moment, with no one looking, just in a quiet moment, I want you to think about what these words say. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of life, loved you and came on a rescue mission for you. That Jesus would take on all of the guilt and the shame that we carry for our wrongs, for the times we've been unfaithful, and he did everything that needed to be done. If today you realize you need Jesus, you need that Savior, and you're ready to call out to him and say, Jesus, you are Lord, I believe that you died for me. If that's you, then in this quiet moment, make this prayer your own prayer to God in your heart. Say these words to God. Say, God, I need you. I need a Savior who will come into my life and bring forgiveness 
restore me. And so Jesus, I turn to you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead so that I can have new life, so that I can have a relationship with my heavenly father. I put all of my trust and all of my hope in you. Now, Lord, we pray for the next generation that's right here represented at our church. We pray for the next generation in our community that we're called to love, serve, and proclaim this message of the wonderful things that you've done, of the grace and the mercy that you've shown us, that in spite of all of our failures, in spite of our wanderings and running from you, that you still pursue us. And so Lord, help us as families and as a church to see this problem and this transition of faith as something that's our responsibility. It's not someone else's job. It's not for somebody else to handle. It's, it's ours. It's on us. And so, Lord, we trust you and help us to be a people who will not stay silent, who will not sit by, but we will proclaim to this generation of the hope, the love, and the goodness that's found in a life living for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would give families courage, the families that have tried before and things fell by the wayside. Lord, give us courage to share, to open our mouths, to speak your truth and your word. We love you, Father. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.